All right. Look at verse 8 of 2 Kings chapter 22. It says, And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Asahiah the servant of the king saying, Go ye inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. The title of my message tonight is Confessing the Sins of the Fathers. And notice in this story how Josiah, he was a good king. He became king when he was eight years old, we see at the beginning of this chapter. He loved the Lord. He had a heart to follow the Lord. And while his heart was in the right place, one thing that was missing in his life was the Word of the Lord. It hadn't been read. It had kind of been the Word of God. It had kind of been put on a shelf somewhere with dust all over it. And we see in the story years later, they go and they find this book and they bring it to him. They read the prophecies. He And when he hears this, all of a sudden he comes to this realization, something that he did not know, and that was that they were in disobedience. They had gone against the Word of the Lord and wrath was upon them. He believed the words of that book. He believed that they were in trouble. And so what did he do? He does the right thing. He rents his clothes. He humbles himself. And notice how in verse 13 that he confessed the sins of his fathers. He said, Great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book. All of a sudden, he looked back at the previous generations and he said, they didn't do things according to the book. And so what does he do? He ends up praying, calling out to God, and then they end up getting things right. They had a revival, and then as a result, of, or you know, you could say a reformation took place. As a result of this reformation, God ended up sparing the judgment that was to come. He had, it, it did eventually come, but it didn't come in Josiah's lifetime because they got things right. That generation, uh, they followed the word of the Lord. They did fear God, and they did confess the sins of their fathers. And so we do in this story. We see. Josiah, he was spared judgment because he did right. Look at verse 15. And he said, and she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you unto me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, because thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardst what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me, 
I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. So this is great here because we see that um, you know God said, listen, I have to punish what's been done. What has been done, it cannot be undone. It has to be dealt with. But I'm going to let you go to the grave in peace. Not only because you know you you know you confess, but he said too, you humbled yourself. Did you know it's a humbling thing when you confess the sins of the fathers, when you confess the sins of the previous generation? Because we see today, even you get regularly ridiculed for that kind of thing. When you actually go and you open the Bible and you see something, you're like, wait a minute, we haven't been doing this right. When you do like Josiah did. It will get you in a lot of trouble. Things have not changed, unfortunately, in this world. And I do. I believe there's many things that are in the IFB that they have gotten away from doing things God's way. I believe there's a lot of young preachers out there, like Josiah, who they have a good heart. They're trying to follow the Lord. But you know what? While they've read their Bible to a certain extent, they've never actually read it clearly. They've never actually looked at it with the authority that it's supposed to have. They've kind of, you know, they've kind of had these blinders on. They've kind of been looking at them through uh, different color shades because that's what they've been taught to look at the Bible through. Maybe they've been looking at the Bible through the shades of dispensationalism or something like that, or they've been looking at the Bible through the shades of the Old Testament law. It doesn't matter anymore. We're just under grace. You know, who cares about all those other things? And while they had they had the right kind of heart, they've been doing things wrong themselves. But we see that there's many people today that while they had a good heart, they finally they've gotten a clear look at the Bible and they've said, you know what? We've been doing this wrong. We've been following the ways of our fathers. Our fathers did these things wrong. They're confess they're confessing these sins. And we see when they do that today, it gets them in trouble all the time. I just listened to Bob Gray the second preach a really good message the other day, basically confessing some of the sins that have been going on in their church. Saying, hey, we did some things wrong. He's like, I had you know, I had some things pointed out to me that were wrong, and he didn't get real specific in this message as far as what it was. I think I know a lot of what he was talking about just because I've known some people that are from that church that have told me about some of the practices that went on there just uh, you know, and I don't want to get specific because I don't want to speak out of turn when it comes to what he was talking about. But uh, you know, I do uh, I do believe what he was referring to uh, from what I got from it. He was right. They did these things wrong in the past. He's confessing this to his church. He's saying we're doing it wrong, and now he's getting ridiculed by the old IFB establishment. You know, they're all basically calling him a snowflake. You know, acting like he's going liberal. Things like that, just because all he did is, you know what? He just, you know, he hears a word from the Lord. Somebody shows him an error in his way. They show him something in the Bible that he's doing wrong. He's like, man, we got that wrong. He does like Josiah, get tries to get it right, and now everybody's ridiculing him. And it's like we get accused when we do this of, you know, being disrespectful to our fathers, you know, and. But the truth is, we don't see Josiah getting in trouble for that, for disrespecting his fathers. And Josiah is not the only example that we see like this in the Bible. And we'll look at some examples here in a little bit. But there, there are many things where they've gotten, IFB's gotten away from God's way of doing things. 
I'm convinced that judgment is coming as a result of this. I think in many cases, the judgment is here. And I'm, I am praying, it is my prayer, that God is purging the IFB right now. I just found out about two perverts in just in the last week. One of them that's preached here before that have gotten busted. Hopefully these guys are going to be going to jail. And you know what? I'm hoping that's God purging. And I have a message for the IFB, alright? Here's what they need to realize. I'm afraid with the one guy there's going to be a cover-up. It hasn't like hit the mainstream yet what happened. And if it doesn't, if he doesn't get arrested, I guarantee, I can promise, the IFB will cover it up and they'll relocate him. I guarantee it with this guy. They will, they will relocate him. But here's the thing. When God purges, it can get pretty nasty. But you know what? When we purge ourselves, it's actually better. And I, what, I, what, the, what I want to see the IFB do is start purging themselves. I want to see them start throwing out the perverts. I want them to start following the qualifications of a bishop. Okay, If you have a bishop that messes around in homosexuality, he shouldn't get restored. To, you know, even if you think a homo can be saved, alright, fine. I'll just give you that. But do you think a guy who is in the pulpit who molested boys should ever return to a pulpit and in a place of leadership and put in a place of trust? Okay, I don't care if you think they can be saved. You're an idiot if you think that's the case. If some preacher, if some pastor is, you know, committing some like incest or something like that, molesting their own kids, do we really think they, even if you think he can be saved, do they, do we really think they ought to be restored to a place of leadership and be behind a pulpit preaching the Word of God? Absolutely not. And folks, if the IFB doesn't start purging themselves of these freaks, then you know what? God's gonna do it. And it's gonna be bad. And you know what? He might just, he might just be done with it. He might just be done with us and just use somebody, and just use, uh, use somebody else. I think that's very possible. But, you know, I, I do, I do believe there's awakening going on in the IFB world today, but it is being greatly fought and criticized. And unfortunately, many people in this generation are very weak. They're very passive. They're very soft. And they're just going into hiding on this stuff. We need more guys coming out, stepping up and saying, and just calling these things out, saying these things are wrong. And start calling out the perverts, pointing them out, letting people know. And I'm saying the one pervert I know, if I find out he gets relocated, I promise I'll be, you know, being public about it. I promise that, I mean, this guy's preaching at our church as a friend of mine. If I find out he gets relocated, I will make some noise about that. You better believe I'll let everybody know who he is and what he did. You know, I'm not going to say anything now because right now I'm hoping he's just going to go to prison. You know, I'm hoping he's just going to go rot in prison and let the inmates are going to take care of him. That's what I'm hoping happens to this guy. And so if, if that's the case, I don't really need to say anything. I don't want to hurt his family and stuff like that. But if they turn a disgusting animal predator loose in a church like that, like they have a tendency to do, I fully intend to say something about that. But one of the things we can say about our generation it, or one of the things that the, or the old, the previous generation who messed up, one of the things they often say about our generation is that we have departed from the old paths. Now I got to be careful. I got a lot of stuff I want to cover, but folks, when you hear these people, talk, I, I, one of the things I like to do, I like to decode, you know, preacher talk sometimes. All right, now let me help you decode. Preach talk. When you hear your typical old IFD guy say they're departing from the old paths, when you get back to the old paths, okay? 
I believe in the old paths. I believe, you know, in, in the old paths of the Bible. All right? I, be, I believe in that. I am for the old paths. But let me tell you that 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 term has been hijacked by the old IFB. And what they mean when they're saying get back to the old paths, we got that means we got to get back to the seventies. Okay, the old paths I'm following goes back a little farther than the seventies. All right. But that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the 70s. I have been to so many of these conferences, and they will. What is it? Jeremiah 6.16? or six, I, I can't remember what passage. I ought to know. He gets preached at every meeting. And you go back to the old paths. Wherein is the good way? No, that's the only verse that they'll read. And then they get up for the next hour. Back in 1970, you know, I was at a meet, I was preaching in a meeting with Jack Hiles. You know, it has nothing to do with the story. But why do they say that? Why do they always bring up, I was preaching at a meeting with Jack Hiles. Whoa, you ran with Jack Hiles? You know, we should be impressed with you. You know, that, that, that's why they do that. It's bragging. I was preaching at this meeting with Lester Roloff. You know, or they'll, they'll start name dropping. I ran with the big boys. You know, I, I, I ran with the greats of old. And you young people, you ain't following the old Pez. You know, basically meaning, we used to worship guys like Hiles. We did everything that they said to do. Why aren't the younger generation worshiping us? I'll tell you why. Because some of us figured out that one of the mistakes of the previous generation was man worship. Okay? I'm not saying a lot of these men of the past weren't great men, but I will say they did get excessively worshipped and that was bad. That was bad. They did a lot of great things. But one thing that got out of line, one thing I think they probably should have nipped a little bit more was this, you know, worshiping of the great men. I, I, I wish they'd have done that. You know, some of these guys, I wish when these guys came along kissing their feet, I wish they'd have kicked them in the face or something like that and told them to knock it off. You know, I wish they would have done things like that, but they didn't. And so these pretty oh, they depart from the old paths. They're against the old paths. And they just, they do, they talk about the 1970s. I've listened to these preachers, they'll get up, it's like, if I, and they'll say, if I can just reminisce for a while. And they'll tell you all these stories. And all it is is story time. From the 1970s, I listened to Larry Brown one time preach a message. He went he went to that story in Ezra and Nehemiah when they built the foundation of the new temple, and you know, and the young men they all shouted, but the older men wept. And he was talking about how the older men wept because they'd seen the original temple, they remembered what it was like. This new one was inferior to that. The young men were excited because they're just seeing something, but the old men are weeping because they'd seen the old house of the Lord. And he's like, you know, I've seen the old house of the Lord. And he started talking about all the things he'd seen in the past. All the great things he saw. You know, and these young guys getting all excited. And he, you know, I get that, but you know what? And I, don't want to get ahead, I don't want to get ahead of myself on the message, but you know, I, do, I get really frustrated when I hear that stuff. And, and they'll, people get mad at me for that, but I'll tell you why more on that in a little bit. You know, they'll tell us we aren't following the great men of the past. Okay? Now think about this. You know, we're supposed to preach the Word, right? So, to me, if I'm preaching Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the epistles of Paul, Peter, James, Jude, I'm following the great men of the past, aren't I, are I not? Okay? If the previous generation was preaching the Word of God, then all I need to do to follow the previous generation is preach the same Word of God. Okay? And I read books from the previous generation. I've got a bunch of Jack Hiles books. I've got about every Dennis Coral book that he's ever written. In my office, I mean, I've got I've got all kinds of these books. Of course, Dennis Coral's still alive, but at the same time, those books aren't inspired. Those books have mistakes in them. 
God did not, God, God did not inspire those books. And the truth is, if I'm going to stick to the old paths, the real old paths, I just need to preach the word. And it's like these guys, when they're saying you're not following the great men of the past, it means you're not, you know, you're not following us, the guys who are the ones who have taken up their mantle. You know, the other big boys, and these guys are desperate to get it, but I'm just sorry. You know, I don't care how many times Bob Gray drops, you know, Bob Gray Sr. drops Jack Hiles name. I'm not worshiping Bob Gray like he worshiped Jack Hiles. I'm not going to do that. Tom Neal, I don't care. Every article he reads or ever writes somehow comes up with Jack Hiles. He brings Jack Hiles into everything. Okay? I'm sorry. I'm not going to just go along with whatever Tom Neal says when he's still going to his pervert son's church, you know, and encouraging him that's literally running the trash can of the old IFB that brings in every pervert into the church. And I know a couple new candidates for that church too, by the way. Uh, if you know, you know, if, if they they take them, you know, that church has already been exposed. I wouldn't even need to say anything. But uh, I know I know a couple more candidates that could, they could uh, they would probably like. They get these guys at a discount, like they got Giovanelli at a discount, because no you know, no no good people, no decent people are going to want them anymore. But you know, they'll say we we don't have any respect for the previous generation. Listen, the previous generation's dead and gone. I don't want to waste my time trying to follow dead guys, figure out what dead guys say when I've got a living Bible right here that I can follow. I'm getting so sick of these preachers that are out there just constantly quoting Spurgeon, constantly quoting R.A. Torrey, all these dead guys. Okay, I know one guy, he quotes Spurgeon so much, he literally looks like him now. I'm not kidding. This, and he didn't used to look like him. He's quoted the guy so much, he now looks like Charles Spurgeon. I read one of his books, it was a pretty good book, but it was just full of Spurgeon quotes. You know, you look at the picture of this guy, he looks like Spurgeon now. I, I, I don't think that's a coincidence. Alright? And it's like, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see it. But we've been told for years we need to follow the great men who are all dead, meaning we are to follow the legends that they have created about these men. Is what it is. And then, you know, we need to just remain the same and stay by the stuff. Now this is another common theme that we're hearing about remaining the same. Okay, now it's going to sound bad when I when I'm you know speaking against this. All right, you know Pastor Terry Angel, one of my favorite preachers, he uh, he preaches a sermon. I've heard him preach a few different times. Call it the things the same. It's from Second Timothy chapter two and verse two. It says the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. When I've heard him preach this message, he always reminisces about the seventies. Okay, I love the man. I love his preaching, but there's something these guys aren't factoring in that's very important. When they say the things the same, and then what they'll do is they'll say, "You, know, you guys are preaching, you know, post-trib. That ain't what the previous generation preached." Well, I know that, but the previous generation was wrong. You know, you guys aren't doing this. You know, the previous, but the previous generation got some things wrong, and so what they do is they'll go to the things the same. And while that verse statement's 100% accurate, while that verse is 100% accurate, there's some things that they're not taking into account that we have to take into account. And that is, one, the fact that we are bent on backsliding. He, Hosea chapter 11, verse 7 is talking about the people of Israel. It says, My people are bent to backsliding from me, though they called to them the Most High. None at all would exalt him. Okay, we just we are nat we naturally backslide. If you have an attitude 
I'm just going to stay here and remain the same, you know what's going to happen? You are going to backslide. Okay? You have to be making a constant effort to move forward. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. The Bible says that falling away is going to come. Okay, falling just happens naturally, doesn't it? Okay, falling takes no effort. Okay, it just it just happens all by itself. Second Timothy three twelve says, "Yea, and all the will of godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou." in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So things are going to keep getting worse and worse. And so he's telling us we need to continue, but we also need to be assured of these things. Okay, We need to be assured. The previous generation did a terrible job in explaining their position from the Scriptures. In fact, they can't do it. You know, They'll tell us we need to remain the same on the pre-trib rapture, yet they can't explain it. Yet, no two of them explain prophecy in the same way. None of them interpret even Matthew chapter 24 in the same way. None of them interpret 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in the same way. And when they say, when they get up and they say a falling away that's in 2 Thessalonians 2 is a catching away, alright? I don't have to listen to that. Okay? When they read 2 Thessalonians 2, and when they explain to me that no, the falling away is a falling away from the earth. I've never seen anything fall off in my entire life, alright? I don't need to listen to that. Alright? I don't care. If the previous generation preached that, guess what? I don't care. Because that's just stupid. Okay? One thing the previous generation taught me was how to read. Okay? And I know that that is, that's just foolish, but that's the type of thing. When they're reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and saying the Holy Spirit's going to be taken out of the world, I don't have to listen to that. Okay? I don't care how old the preacher is that says that and how much respect I ought to have for him. If he tells me the Holy Spirit's going to get taken out of the world, I don't have to listen to that. That's just stupid. I don't care how old the preacher is, how white his hair is, how much he's respected. If he gets up and he tells me that Matthew chapter 24 is not our rapture, but then tells me no man can know the day or the hour of the rapture and uses Matthew 24, I don't have to listen to him. Okay, that I don't have to listen to that. I'm supposed to continue in the things I've learned, but I'm supposed to be assured of these things knowing of whom I have learned them. Why? Because the Bible also tells us that evil men and seducers are going to come in. Things are going to wax worse and worse. There's going to be deception. It's going to be growing in the end times. So when I see these guys get up that can't use the Bible to advance their position, I don't have to listen to them. I shouldn't listen to them. You know what I ought to do? I ought to confess the sins of my fathers in that case. It says in Jude 1.3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of all ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ. It says right here that we are supposed to earnestly contend. Why? Because people are going to creep in unawares. We see that this that the old generation just they quit fighting in the last 10, 20 years. They've just quit fighting. The only people they want to fight are us. They don't even want to fight the homos anymore. They get all they're all scared to preach against the homos today. The only people that they they'll fight with 
is people like us. You know why? Because it's politically, politically acceptable. Because Fox News has their back when they fight people like us. And I'm supposed to listen to them? I'm supposed to just go along with that? I'm sorry, it's too clear in the Bible that they're going right along with what the Bible said is going to come. And so I'm not, I don't have to follow that. Second Peter 2.1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. We see the Bible told us that there were going to be people that were going to come in, they were going to bring in Danville heresies, they were going to uh, make merchandise of the people. They said that these things were going to be happening in that end times. And we see that it actually has happened. Because this was the thing for me. When I started learning the truth about you know, dispensationalism and how bad it is, when I started seeing how accepted it was, at first I'm like, there is no way, there is no way the IFB can have this much bad in it. But then it's like, you know what? I either believe the Bible or I don't believe the Bible. Actually, the Bible says this type of thing was going to happen. And it's, it mentioned that these people are going to be making merchandise to the people. You know what? You want to know who is in the churches teaching all this dispensational garbage? It's not the pastors in many cases. It's the guys that they're bringing in who have their book table selling their garbage. That's who it is. It's the Sam Gibbs that come to their church selling his books. Selling their CDs. It's the Bill Buy My Book Grady's that's on a book tour. Been on a book tour for like two years now. Why? Privily bringing in damnable heresy. It's making merchandise out of the people. Making money off the people. Just like the Bible said. And yet, I can read what the Bible says about these things just crystal clear as far as the doctrine goes. I see that these you know, good-looking churches are teaching false doctrine, but then I see just nut jobs and people making merchandise of them, selling books in their church, you know, and then them preaching that garbage in their church, just like the Bible says, yet I'm not supposed to you know, just say, hey, I'm seeing exactly what the Bible says was going to happen happening, and yet I'm just supposed to listen to you, the guy that wants my money, to buy his book? Uh, I'm sorry, you look way too much like who the Bible warned us about. I'm not, I am not going to do that. But that's exactly what people are doing. And this is what the Bible says is going to happen. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20.29 20, says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Look at how serious Paul was about this. Paul understood that, listen, I'm going to leave you people one of these days and I know what's going to happen. False prophets are going to come in and they're going to try to deceive you. And he's up there crying to the people, trying to let them see just how serious he is about this because this is a real danger. And so I show you all this to show you how this attitude of just the things the same. Folks, we just got to figure out today how to just keep things the same. And they don't factor in the fact that, wait a minute, wait a minute, while you're just trying to stay in one spot, 
We've got to understand that there's a devil and devils and false prophets that are privily trying to bring in things. We're supposed to be advancing. We're supposed to be moving forward. We're supposed to be fighting. We're supposed to be on the offense while these guys are just on the defense. These guys want to get up in their meetings all the time and just preach against the trendies, which is fine. You know, I love preaching against the trendies, but you know what? At the same time, none of these guys go to the Bible and prove why they're wrong. The trendies, I mean. They don't even prove from the Bible why they are right. All they do is they just get up and they'll see these queer little skinny jean sissies out there just changing things in churches and they just get up and they just start screaming and throwing a temper tantrum. The thing's the same! The thing's the same! It's like, no, we need to be advancing. We need to be moving forward. If you just have an attitude, I'm going to stay here and not be moved, you're going to just naturally go backwards. And that has that is what has happened. Listen, theoretically, yes, let's remain the same. But you realize that can't be our mindset. Because if that's your mindset, just it's just natural that you're going to get moved back. You're going to keep losing ground. You have to be advancing, you have to be moving forward. And when we, we can stop moving forward when we become like Christ. You know, refer to this morning's message on that. But you know, thank God for those in the previous generation who brought in some Reformation. One thing they don't talk about from the 70s and from the people of the old is often the Reformation that these guys brought. And I believe that's one of the reasons God used them. You know, thank God for the KJV only movement. You know, thank God that there were some of these preachers of the past that saw what was going on. It, it, and this is, I, I see this from our crowd sometimes from some of these people, you know, not the pastors, but I see how these other people, they're always wanting to call out John R. Rice or Lester Roloff or somebody because they didn't have a KJV only position. But listen, it's because nobody was fighting it yet. Nobody was moving forward on that issue. You know what happened when it came to the KJV only position? It's just privily people brought in damnable heresy. Privily, they brought in other Bible versions. They weren't fighting that issue in the early 1900s, in the mid-1900s, as far as what I've seen from history and from what I've heard you know, from the people telling their stories. They just weren't really fighting it. It wasn't an issue. So guess what? They were getting pushed back and they didn't know it. Well, many good people all of a sudden at one point realized, hey, wait a minute, we messed up somewhere. Hey, you know what they did? They did like Josiah. They went back and they looked at the book. They read the book and they're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, the Bible does say the Word of God is pure. God did promise that He would preserve His Word for every generation. The Bible does say all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Bible does say, you know, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word shall not pass away. Not one jot or one tittle. All of a sudden they realize, wait, the Bible teaches that we're always going to have a perfect Word of God why is it that we have two different Bibles saying two different things and the good men, they figured it out and then you know what they did? They led a Reformation. They led a King James only movement that I believe saved them from going into great apostasy. Okay? That doesn't mean all those guys that used, uh, you know, an ESV, I think it was they were using, or the ASV, doesn't mean they, that they were all bad guys. It just means they were mistaken. There are many people Listen, in the next generation, when, the, when we've just kicked the pre-trib into just embarrassing history, there's going to be a lot of clowns in that generation. They're going to go back and they're going to pull up an old sermon of mine. And man, he was preaching pre-trib at one time. Tommy Murchie, he, he wasn't even saved then. You know? 
Listen, I was a good person when I was pre-trib. I had a good heart like Josiah when I was pre-trib. Okay? But, you know, our church was a good church when we were pre-trib. But you know what? Some things had happened. You know, there, it, the pre-trib, we, we, I wasn't fighting, you know, on that stuff. It, it's, it's something that's, it snuck in. It, it privily came in. But you know what? We figured it out. We, now we're pushing back. We're fighting against that kind of thing. And you know what? And so all those guys from the past that use an ESV at one time or something, they weren't all bad guys. They weren't all heretics. Okay? But that, the good ones got on board. John R. Rice, if he'd lived another decade, I think he'd have been all over the KJV only movement. I, I'm, I'm, conv- I'm convinced he would. Maybe not. Some guys, when they get to a certain age, nothing's going to change them. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I think he would definitely be on our side. But you know, thank God for the soul winning movement of the past. We didn't start a soul winning movement, folks. Uh, do you realize what we saw yesterday with the mega marathon? While as big of a deal as it was, do you realize it pales into comparison of what the IFB used to do in soul winning? We haven't even scratched the surface of what the IFB used to do in soul winning. They, I mean, it was just a regular thing for thousands of people to be out soul-winning at one time and to see thousands of people saved. That used to be a common occurrence in the IFB. But you know what? We lost it. Guys started coming in, teaching the repent of your sins garbage. And it discouraged people from it. They started you know, preaching all these just dumb sermons. You know, where are all these converts? They didn't really get saved because they're not in church. They're not doing all these things. And they discouraged that soul-winning movement. They start, you know, and then there was other people that came in that kind of messed it up, gave it a bad name. You had the one, two, three, repeat after me crowd that made it look bad. But then you just had other people that were just lazy and didn't want to do it. Churches became the social club. None of these things happened overnight. It, it slowly happens over time. Nobody intended for it to happen. Some of these same churches who preach the things the same, they used to have thriving soul-winning ministries in their church and they don't today. They do not have thriving soul winning ministries in their church today. Their soul winning efforts are incredibly lame, yet they're up, they're the ones up there beating the drum of the things the same, the things the same. No, you don't even realize, they don't even realize what they've lost. Because they've quit advancing. They've quit moving forward. You know, thank God for those who stood against the liberalism that was in the Southern Baptist movement. Thank God that my dad came out of the Southern Baptist movement when it did, it just, it got too liberal. And all of a sudden, it, while a lot of these things came in slowly, there was an awakening that took place. You know, I remember in, in the late 90s and in the early 2000s when there was kind of an awakening about the CCM garbage, the contemporary Christian music. When all of a sudden, a lot of independent fundamental Baptists said, hey, you know what? Our music is starting to sound a little bit too much like the world's. A lot of people figured that out. It was like that even in our church. You know, where the music... it. You know, I think we'd cross the line. It just, it just happened. We didn't mean for it to happen. We didn't make a decision one day, hey, you know what? Let's start using contemporary music. Let's start using Rocky music. Let's bring in this. Let's, we, we didn't. It just happened with no effort, with us trying to remain the same. But then finally, I'll never forget what kind of changed it for my dad. We went to the Peoria Christian Center to go, uh, for a bowling night, and they also had a concert hall there. And we were having the we were we were there bowling, and when we got done, we were leaving the place. And in the other area was the just scariest looking bunch of freak shows that you ever saw in your life. 
I remember Dad, he's like rounding up all the kids, getting them out of there and stuff. Because, I mean, these people were freaky looking. And usually at the Peoria Christian Center, it was decent looking people. It was usually Christian people that hung out there. And we're thinking, what's with all the freaks? And there was a Christian rock concert going on there is what was going on. I mean, just all these pierced up freaks going to a Christian rock concert. I remember I walked to where the auditorium was and I peeked in the door and I looked in there and I was horrified at what I saw. I'll never forget it. My dad, he got up and he preached a sermon that next day called, Lord, get us out of the world before you get us out of the world. All of a sudden, he's like, you know, Christians are getting way too much like the world. We're getting way too much like them. He's like, you know what? We need to start making sure we're a little more separated. And you know what he did? He started cleaning house on the music that was going on in our church. And we weren't near that bad. But he realized, you know, we're heading in a wrong direction. He started cleaning house. And guess what? We ended up having a church split over it. Over him cleaning the house up. But you know what? I'm glad he did it. I'm, I'm, thank, I'm thankful he did it. I think it was necessary. You know what he did? He realized, hey, we've let some things slip. We've got wrong on some of these things. And you know, but yet today, that same crowd that was fixing things in the past, all of a sudden now we're not allowed to fix anything. You know, we're not allowed to touch anything, even though that's what they did, and that's why God blessed them. It's like all of a sudden they think that they achieved that perfect Christ likeness that we talked about this morning, that we're not going to get into the rapture. That's that's their attitude. But many of these things they crept into to good churches in the past, but God raised up people that made others aware of them and they led reformations. And thank God for that. And today, God is raising up a generation that's calling out errors, that's confessing sins of the previous generation who let some things slip. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. It's important that we pay attention. You know what we need to be doing right now? We need to be paying even more attention to the things we've heard. We know, wait, am I sure that I heard right on this? Are we sure that this is actually, you know, what the Bible teaches? Because the things that we have that are right, I want to make sure we hang on to these things. So I'm going to listen really close. You know, when I go to these, uh, you know, old IFB meetings, I mean, I'm listening close to what I hear. I'm, I'm listening really close because I want to make sure I'm right. I don't trust them like I used to. I listen and I'm waiting for them. Just please open up the Bible. Can you please show me this from the Bible? I want to know what this is all about. But just some sins of the previous generation that we need to confess, I believe. And some of these are things that you know I've been involved in at some point in the past. doesn't mean I was a bad person then. It just means I was wrong. Like Josiah, I had a good heart though. When it was shown to me, when I took a good look myself, I realized, whoa, we did the wrong thing. And one of those things that thankfully, thankfully God is waking people up on this is dispensationalism and all the things that come with it. Thank God that He is... So when I was taught dispensationalism, I was taught an older form of it, a very mild form of it. I was taught take it with a grain of salt. You know, I was taught more of an... You know, there, there's some people that are dispensational where they'll, they'll say it. They, they'll call it the, uh, the law, the church, and the kingdom. Okay? Now, people who have that law, the church, and the kingdom, I don't believe those people are damnable heretics. All right? That basically what they're saying is there was the Old Testament law, and then there was the New Testament, which I would agree with. Now, when they say the kingdom, I do believe in a kingdom that's coming, but ultimately what they're saying with that kingdom 
is God's going to go back to dealing with the Jews. You know, it's, it's for the Jews. It's their way of keeping their pro-Jew thing. And there's all different levels you can take that to. You know, but not everybody that has that is just a lost, you know, nut job heretic. But some are. Now, when they're doing the seven dispensations and things like that, these people are just nut jobs. When they're teaching faith plus works in the Old Testament, they're not saved. Okay? When they're teaching faith plus works in the tribulation, they're not saved. Okay? These things are bad, but when I did, when I took a good look at these things that, you know, I had let a little bit of it in, I would have been more of the law kingdom or the law church kingdom at one point. I was never the seven dispensation foolishness or anything like that. But, you know, when I realized, I'm like, hey, this is bad. I'm calling it out. People are waking up on this stuff. You know, the previous generation, they had, they did a lot of just bad, lazy interpretation of the Bible. Anybody who's gone to the old IFB meetings, especially camp meetings, you have heard some of the most horrible butchering of the Scriptures that you can ever imagine. Where they just take one line from the Bible and then they just go and have a good time after that. Pull that line, I'll preach. You know? And then they just they get up and they tell stories for an hour. And get well, get people shouting. You know, one thing the old IV did, they overstepped their realm of authority. There were many things they were right on when it came to standards. They were right in preaching standards. They were right on that. They were right on many of the things, the convictions that they had and the things that they taught. But one thing that they did in that previous generation is instead of just trying to teach people why we do these things, instead of trying to motivate them to uh, you know, have a close relationship with Christ and a walk with God. While you know, instead of just trying to set a good an example and being in samples of the flock, like the Bible says, they tried to. They came up with enforcement mechanisms that were not biblical. They used the Christian schools as a way to force them to follow a handbook of all their rules that they believed in. And because they had these enforcement mechanisms, there was no need to inspire. There was no need to show them from the Bible why. They didn't have to show them the Bible. Here's the handbook. You know, well, you know, let's say every you should. You know, but what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says what shall, you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What shall, you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And we have decided as a church that this is a sin. Therefore, it's now a sin. Hey, they might be right that it was a sin, but don't use that verse to prove it. All right, don't use that precedent. Okay, uh, don't do that. You know, show us from the Bible. And the thing is, they could have done it. They they could have done it, but they just didn't know how because they they were they were lazy in their Bible interpretation. You know they they followed popes, you know they and they used their churches to advance them politically, decoding a little more preacher talk. Hey, when and I've said this before, I'll say again: when preachers say this man lost his ministry, it doesn't mean he was a pervert. And he got removed from his church and had to resign. That's not what it means, okay? To me, when a man loses his ministry, it's a guy who gets busted for being a pervert and gets removed from his church, and then all the other churches are too smart to take him back in. To me, that's losing your ministry. Here's what losing your ministry means to the old IFB, okay? They have their church. That's not their ministry, okay? Their church, this is what I, you know, what you are, you're something to make me look good. So I can have this ministry, in other words, so I can advance politically. I can move up the ranks. Okay? Their ministry is preaching at the big conferences. Their ministry is getting, you know, their sermons in the revival fires and in the sword of the Lord and things like that. 
They're you know getting invited to the big conferences, getting the big fat love offerings. That's what their ministry is. And it helps you move up the ranks if you have a big church. If you have a church that looks a certain way, you know, if you if you can if you're bringing in the big crowds, if you've got all these things going for you, that helps you move up the ranks. Well, what I've, what I've what I've had pastors tell me many times, they'll talk about these people that they went and they followed that teaching and they lost their ministry. Wait a minute, I actually know who you're talking about. Their church is doing just fine. In fact, their church has grown since they lost their ministry. Oh, but you know what? That's right. I haven't seen them in the revival fires since they went against you guys. I haven't seen them on a, on a, a speaker's list. Okay? That's what they mean when they say they've lost their ministry. Okay? And the thing is, their people, and many of these pastors that, that have that goal, they use their people to help them move up the ranks. They're not using their ministry to advance their people. That's not what they're doing. This pervert that just got busted, that's what he did in his church. He used strong-arm manipulation tactics to get money out of people in the church so he could have the building program, so he could build a more impressive facility because that is one of the things your impressive facility will help you move up the ranks in the IFB world. They love buildings. They, they love them. That's what it's all about. And he used every one of those things. He kissed rear like nobody I've ever seen in my life. Kissed rear. His ministry was growing. His ministry was expanding. In other words, you were seeing his face on a lot of meetings. Okay? But now, to me, he's actually lost his ministry. Okay? Because he's no longer pastoring the church that he's at. You know, and I've noticed he's getting, his face is getting removed from these meetings that he originally. Let's see if they actually continue with that. They're probably going to wait and see if it blows over and if he gets reassigned or whatever. But, you know, I could go on and on with these things. So the man worship. That was another bad thing the previous generation did. Sending their youth off to Bible college. I was just at a church planners conference this week and I listened to these guys. They were talking about church planning, like how many churches it took to plant one church in the 60s and 70s. And the thing is, it's been going down over the decades. And what they have figured out, okay, this is independent, fundamental, Bible college, Baptist. They have figured out and admit, are admitting that Bible colleges have held up church planning because we've turned it all over to the Bible colleges. There was a time before the Bible colleges got big where local churches had a mentality of let's start a church. But now, we leave it all up to the Bible colleges and guess what? Not as much is getting done. Barely any is getting done. I, I left the papers in there that had some of the statistics on that. You know why? It's because Bible college is wrong. Churches are dying because they're sending the young people out. I mean, they're sending the backbone of their church out to go advance this other church's ministry and it's killing their own church. And these big churches, they're not getting it done. They're, they're not taking the place of all the small local churches and they can't do it. But we are making the popes and those churches look good by doing that. You know, we're helping them move up the ranks, you know, politically and making them look great. But we you know we can go on and on. You know, they one thing they keep doing they're they're doing, I've been noticing this a lot, they've been declaring recent church practices as necessities to fulfill the will of God. I hear preachers all the time talking about how, you know, we're never going to build a great church without Sunday schools. Really? Then why didn't Paul tell us about those? You know, if, if we can't build a church today without Sunday, a good Sunday school program, can you tell me why Paul didn't tell us about these things? 
You know, they'll tell you we'll, we'll never get the touch of God in our church till we start getting back to the altar. It's like, really? Can, can, can you please show me that teaching in the Bible? The problem in churches today, we hear the preaching, but the altars are empty. The preaching's fiery, but the altars are empty. No, actually, maybe it's because nobody's out going soul winning. You know, this guy that just got busted, he was real good at getting people crying at the altar. He liked to tweet pictures of people crying at the altar. Stuff like that. But man, this guy can't even control himself. Just a scuzz bag. You know? And y'all are wondering what this I, I can tell you about it after church. But uh you know, it's it's just it's crazy. All these emotional people. You know, they're good at getting the emotions out of folks. Folks, that, that stuff isn't biblical. And yet, these are the things saying, we've got to get back you know, to the old-fashioned altar. Well, see, an old-fashioned altar, an old-fashioned altar doesn't really look like these. You know, We don't even see anything like this in the Bible. And you know what I said? I participated in that stuff. That's, I was always bad at the altar calls because I just refused to use the manipulation tactics. You know, I ref- I'm not an emotional person. I didn't like using the emotion. I wasn't going to get up. You know, you know, we'd have the invitation songs and everything, but I wasn't going to get up and singing the song, crying, and all those things. To get- I-, I just refused to do that stuff, and I never succeeded in it. But turns out, you know, I don't have to do that stuff. I didn't realize that. Thank God, some people wrote, you know, rose up and said, "Hey, you know, actually, this isn't even in the Bible." Really? <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought this had to be done. But I think fixing past mistakes and bad practices, it's not rebellion, but it's obedience. But they act like it's rebellion. Nehemiah 9.1 says, Now on the 24th, uh, 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of of their fathers, and they stood up in their place, and they read the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed and worshipped before the Lord their God. That was a revival in Nehemiah's day. Not when they were worshipping their fathers. Not when they were just saying, we've got to get back to the old paths. we got to do the previous generation did. No, it was when they confessed the sins of their fathers because they let some things slip. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 9, and they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God. One or no, or, or, Daniel nine nine. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against Him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which He set before us by His servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed Thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey Thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against Him. It looks like what Moses said was going to happen is happening to us. It looks like the Bible is coming to pass. And He hath confirmed His words which He spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us great evil for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. That is, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand Thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord washed upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all His works which He doeth. For we obey not His voice. And now, O Lord our God, that has brought Thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as at this day. 
We have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all Thy righteousness, I beseech Thee, let Thine anger and Thy fury be turned away from Thy city Jerusalem, Thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and Thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Daniel, the guy, man that we all revere, he confessed the sins of his father. He's like, we did some things wrong. And we've got to get back to the old paths, meaning the Word of God. We've got to go back to doing what the Bible actually says. And you know what? God did some great things in the past with the eye of thee, but they were never perfect. They were never perfect, and we're still not perfect. Okay, Our church isn't perfect, but we're trying to move forward. And if God wants us to move forward, it's going to help if when He shows us something that we're doing wrong, we fix it. If, he wants, if we want to move forward doctrinally, if He shows us that we've got to get rid of one of our sacred cows like the pre-trib rapture, we need to get rid of it so we can move on to the next thing. And yet, Baptists have said, you know, our doctrine is perfect. I'm sorry. We're to the point now where guys are preaching about Star Wars like I was talking about last week. You know, fights going on in outer space. You know, talking about centaurs and inhabiting other planets. I mean, I'm... That is being preached in church today. And those guys are apparently old pests. And we're not. They call us the new IFB. And I'm thinking, how is preaching about inhabiting other planets not new? They ought to be the new IFB. If you ask me, they ought to be the, not IFB though, just the, uh, some Star Trek Baptist or something like that, but just, just foolishness. But God did, they were never, God blessed the IFB though. Even, you know, because they were moving forward, because they were confessing some of the sins of the previous generations. But what ended up happening, they got blessed so much, they got complacent. That always happens. God blesses, people get complacent. That happened over and over again with Israel. And in Jeremiah 48, verse 11, it says, Moab hath been at ease from his youth and hath settled on his lees and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remaineth in him and his sin is not changed. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send unto him wanderers that shall cause him to wander and shall empty his vessels and break their bottles. Alright? What does that mean, settle on their lees? Okay? And that's a reference to, uh, just the lees or dregs or sediments of wines. It's that, uh, it's these things that settle in the liquid. You know, after it sits for a while, these things, they go down and they, they settle in the liquid because it's not getting shook up. Because it's not being stirred. It's not being poured from vessel to vessel. There's nothing going on. The IFB, they went to sleep is what happened. They settled on their lees. They haven't, they're not being attacked anymore. They were getting attacked in the past. And so what did they do? They back off. They wanted to rest. They wanted to take it easy. They wanted to take a nap. The internet came out. Things started going viral that they were saying about homos. And so all of a sudden, they're like, well, they backed off. All right? They ended up backing off on all that stuff because they couldn't handle the persecution, and now they have settled on their lease. God hates that. In Zephaniah 1.12, it says, It come to pass at that time I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees, that say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, neither will He do evil. Therefore their good shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They also... Or they shall also build houses, but not inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, but not drink of the wine thereof. They're, th you know, they're just they're taking it easy, no problems. That is the IFB today, 
And you know what needs to take place since they're settling these? They need to get shook up. They need to be shook up. You know what? They need a little bit of persecution. But unfortunately, they've gotten so weak whenever potential persecution comes, instead of them fighting back, they just go along with it. You know, we're the bad guys now. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm getting disgusted about how many articles I'm seeing against our crowd that's accusing us of being the leaders of all these things that we are not the leaders of. Okay? We didn't start soul winning. We didn't start hard preaching. We didn't start, you know, bashing homos and reprobate. We, we did not start any of these things. Okay? We got this from the previous generation who, when a camera got put in front of them, who, when they saw these themselves on the internet, they backed off. Where some of us said, uh, no, we're sticking to this. We're, we're sticking by our guns. But they, and you know, so we are very close to being the independent Baptist, fundamental Baptist movement. We're very close. Many of the trendies are dropping the name Baptist, and rightfully so. The older generation, they're getting just lame and ineffective. Nobody even notices them anymore. They're not making a difference, and most of them are just dying out, you know, or turning out perverts and things like that. You know, we, we are going to be it, but we shouldn't get credited for this stuff. But you know what? God's going to, I'm praying God shakes these people up. But if we do, if we just sit and are not disturbed, we will go bad. We will just naturally go bad. If we just have this attitude, the thing's the same. I'm not going to be moved. If we just sit in one spot, we're going to go bad. That's exactly what's going to happen. And they don't even realize that we've not been called to just sit and not move. We've been called to be like Christ. We're supposed to be moving forward. We're supposed to be getting better. Our generation, we received more than the previous generation originally got. So guess what? God expects more from us. God may have winked at the, them preaching on the pre-trib doctrine back you know, in the 70s. But you know what? Now He's commanded all men everywhere to repent. Hey, you guys ought to know better than this now. Okay? The information is out there. I've revealed these things to you. You ought to know better than this now. And we do. We need to get these things right. We shouldn't be looking for new things. We shouldn't be looking for new ways to please our flesh like the trendies. But we should constantly be changing into something that is more like Christ. Okay? I am not trying to be like Jack Hiles or Lester Roloff or Oliver B. Green. You know what? Those guys are all dead and in the grave and rotting. But you know what? Jesus Christ, He's still alive today. And I'm going to follow after Him. That's who we've been called to follow after. And if those guys happen to preach some things right, and those things right, great. You know, then we're on the same page. We're doing it too. But I'm not going to do it because of them. I'm going to do it because of the Word of God and because of Jesus Christ. And listen, it is appropriate. You are not being disrespectful when you confess the sins of your fathers. I believe as a church we need to do that. I believe as independent fundamental Baptists we need to do that. You as a family, you ought to do that. If your previous generation did some stuff wrong, call it out. I talked to a guy just this week guy who doesn't even claim to be a Christian talking about his previous generation, talking about the drunkenness that was going on, talking about the gambling that went on and all the things that he went through as a kid because of what his previous generation did. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to have anything of that. I didn't think he was being disrespectful to his mom when he said those things. You know what I think he did? I think he learned from her mistakes. And I think that's good. And I believe he's being blessed because of that. He's living a better life than the previous generation did. And so don't let people you know, tell you 
you know, you're being disrespectful to the previous generation when you confess their sins. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. That's what the great men of the Bible did. We're just getting back to the old bias. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray you'll help us to follow these things. Lord, thank you for uh, the guidance and the, just the clarity of your word. And I pray you'll help us, Lord, not to go looking for new stuff, but just uh, sticking to your word. Lord, finding out where we're wrong and trying to become more and more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand.